All right, there it is. Oh, six thirty. Here we go. All righty. Well, shall we call this board meeting to the uh, regular board meeting of the Kybee School District for fifty-two to order? So we start with the Pledge of Allegiance, please. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, for which it stands, one under God, indivisible, liberty and justice for all. Okay, well, um, any delegations? Mr. Peterson. Yeah, Mr. Thornton, um, invited Mr. Campman from the middle school to speak tonight. He's got, a, got some good news regarding a grant that uh, was awarded last week. So I'd ask Mr. Campman to unmute and there he is. Yeah. Hey guys, thank you for letting me come tonight. I'm. Um, really honored to talk about the middle school. We're trying to do some good things over there and I'm glad to be part of that group. Um, if you'll indulge me for a few uh, minutes, hopefully not any longer, I know how these things get. Um, I'd like to give you some of the backstory to tell you how we got to this point. So a few years ago, we were doing our Title IX work and we discovered that our fast pitch program wasn't quite getting um, what they needed. So, um, they were practicing on the old uh, softball field that's kind of off to the side by the church over there uh, by the portables. And it, it really wasn't, wasn't what they deserved. So with that in mind, um, Mr. Adamson, who always, um, inter always entertains my thoughts, um, put in a new fast pitch field where the old seventh grade baseball field was. Uh, but that left us with a few voids, uh, mainly for our seventh grade program that we needed to fill. So we were finding out a way uh, on how to uh, get some funding for fencing, uh, where we could put some new fields in at the middle school. So we got the idea to apply for the Legends Grant, and we were awarded the Legends Grant. Uh, we were one of 69 entities, uh, nonprofit organizations out of 336. We ended up getting the grant. We got the high end of it, uh, which is $3,000. And what we're going to do, um, we're going to start work on the seventh grade uh, fast pitch field, which is, like I said, over by the portables. And we're going to build um, really kind of a dome over the uh, home plate area. So that way, any kind of foul balls or anything like that will go into that area and not out into the street or onto a car, even into the opposing bench. So it should look pretty cool. I got the idea from a Tacoma school district that has their baseball field right, right by this. Um, once we get done with the seventh grade fast pitch field, we're gonna move over uh, and do the uh, seventh grade boys baseball. We'll have a similar um, idea of what we're gonna do there that we did for the fast pitch program. It's gonna be by the reader board. We'll have another dome over there. So it kind of encompasses home play. And um, it should look pretty sharp when we're done. Um, Dan always has a, a few things he adds that make, makes things look pretty good. And then when we're done with that, um, hopefully we have some extra money left over for um, some further fencing. And we wanna 
take the old tennis court in the back and turn that into a batting cage. And um, I think that would be uh, so um, just wanted to share that with you guys and let you know we're doing some good things. And if you get a chance, check out our new padding in the gym. It looks spectacular. Uh, we use the uh, money from the uh, cookie dough cells to pay for that. Yeah, like I said earlier, we're doing some good things and I'll entertain any questions if you have it. No questions, Mr. Campman. I just want to thank you for spending the extra time to apply for that grant and getting it for our students. You guys are more than welcome. Good bunch of kids. All right, Mr. Peterson, and I will stop blabbing. <laughs> Thanks, Mr. Campman. I appreciate it. That's all I have, Mr. Thorne. Okay. Well, then we'll move on to the uh, proposed consent agenda. Um, I, I, I don't see anything outstanding. Um, is there any questions or discussion? I had one question. Um, there was a small purchase at Detlef's Auto, but then a much larger purchase at Pasco Auto Store. I was just wondering what the reasoning is that we don't go with a, a local business that actually supports us and our and our project. Just curious. Um, we'll probably save a lot of money, but. Just wondering what the thought was. That's certainly a question that I can uh, pose to Mr. Adamson and, and get a response from him forward to the board. Okay. I know I noticed we do spend a bit of money there at that loss, so I'm glad we support them. I know I tried to. Okay, well, well, the chair will entertain a motion to pass the proposed consent agenda. I move to pass the uh, consent agenda as is. I'll second. Okay, the consent agenda has been uh, moved and seconded. All those in favor say aye. 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 Was that unanimous? Yep. Okay. All right. The consent agenda has been moved and approved. We will move on to public comments. Uh, Heidi, I, I believe we have a couple comments. Am I supposed to read those? No, Mr. Thornton, I'll take care of it. <clears throat> and yes, you did. Uh, wait, if you come in towards the uh, towards the timeline, but we do have a total of, I wanna make sure I'm right on this. We have 11 public comments and uh, these came, these are being read in the order in which they were, were received. And as with, with uh, past practice, as far as public comments go, any statements um, or for the boards uh, consideration and any questions, um, Mr. Thornton and I can can detail the questions and get the answers back to those people who uh, who are asking questions. So I'll start with comment number one. Uh, this does contain a question: uh, When will parents be surveyed about their plans and concerns with opening up school? 
would also like to know the plan if one of my son's teachers tested positive with a COVID, what will the plan be? Uh, thank you. Jennifer Kinnison, writing as a parent and not a teacher. Uh, comment number two, the statement. Uh, I strongly feel that starting school in person is necessary for our early learning children. Our pre-K, kindergarten, and first grade students are missing out on valuable teaching and learning right now. We don't have computers to send home for these students. Teachers are sending home supplies and activities complete, to complete, excuse me. Not all students have resources at home to help them with the work that is sent home. It is not equitable for all. It is imperative for our children to be in a classroom setting and learn the social and emotional skills necessary for successful learning to take place. We need to foster language, physical, and cognitive development. Sitting in front of screens is not the best learning environment for young children. They learn best through play. We will never be germ-free. We were not germ-free before COVID-19 came to be. We can practice and teach good hygiene habits. I believe that with correct protocols and training, we can make our school a safe place to learn. As a parent of high school students in our district, I would also like to see the shop classes open up in small group settings. Kids need hands-on learning in classes such as welding, etc. I truly appreciate the effort that all the teachers are making right now. Sitting in front of screens is not the best learning environment for all high school students either. Thank you, Jennifer McLeod, uh, transitional kindergarten teacher. Comment three, statement. As adults responsible for the safety and well-being of our children, I assume you are aware of the governor's comment last week that we are to remain in a modified phase one. So why do you believe that the district can return to school when gatherings are still to only be limited to five people in an outdoor slash indoor setting? I realize that a global pandemic is inconvenient, but I'm asking you as a group to stand together and say that the decision to bring our children back into the buildings is irresponsible at this time and we will not risk the lives of our community. Thank you, Jennifer Thomas. Comment number four. And these are numbered. Uh, number one, I wanted to know if the district has a plan for the teachers in parentheses, God, for, God forbid, because everyone will remain healthy and strong, smiley face, parentheses, that needs sub coverage. If a teacher has a doctor's appointment to go to, if there's an emergency of any sort, those kinds of sub coverages, personal leave, et cetera. Uh, asterisk, does the district have substitutes in place now like before? Number two, my second question is whether to request a daily what is whether to request a daily water bottle from home for the students. Will water bottles be supplied for those students who do not bring water bottles to school? And number three, I would also like to know the name of the cleaning solution slash spray that will be used to disinfect slash clean the classroom. Sincerely, Irene Alvarado, a first grade teacher. Uh, comment number five. Um, I'm an eighth grade science teacher and a parent of two Kybe students. I am very concerned with our district planning to reopen our school buildings. If we could return safely, I would happily be in the building tomorrow, but I'm afraid that is not the case. As a science teacher, I've read a great deal about the virus and I've kept track of our case counts. According to the Tri-City Herald, quote, the Tri-Cities area has a steep drop, had a steep drop in new cases starting in July, but the drop has plateaued and cases even have risen a bit, unquote. Cannot even imagine what will happen if to our case rate when schools reopen. Our county is still in phase 1.5 of the state's reopening plan, which limits groups to no more than five people. 
A school, of course, vastly exceeds that number, not to mention that we are dealing with children and, and in my classroom teenagers that do not always follow the safety rules. I'm not alone in my concerns. In a survey that KBEA members completed, 63% of our teachers were uncomfortable returning to school during the next two weeks, and 60% wanted to wait until the state's phase three or four. I'm also concerned that the district has not contacted parents to gather their opinions on school reopening. As a parent, I've not heard about reopening plans from either the primary or the intermediate schools. I heard today that a survey was going out, but I have not received it yet. I know that I am not willing to risk sending my children back to school buildings. My daughters have amazing teachers who are doing a fantastic job and it breaks my heart for them to lose those relationships, but I cannot risk their health and safety by returning them back to the classroom. I ask that the district slow down and consider the risk to our students, staff and community before we rush to reopening. Comment number six, would like to submit the following to be read at the school board meeting on October 12th. I feel very strongly that we should have our PK through two students start school in person on October 19th. Beginning with half a class at a time each day will facilitate the social emotional needs of our students that are vital to their learning. We as staff have procedures outlined for us to maintain the safety and health of our students and I know we will all do our best. This came from Judy Harding via text message and uh, jharding at kibsd.org. Comment number seven. Uh, and I want to make sure some have the names at the beginning, some have them at the end. So uh, comment number some, seven is Barbara Thomas. National scientists state that when students return to classrooms, there will be cases of COVID at some point. What plans are in place to control the spread? How will parents be notified? Texas requires students who have had contact with an infected classmate to quarantine for 14 days and have a COVID test at the parent's expense. Will the school have COVID tests available for those who have been exposed? And will students be spaced six feet apart in classrooms? Comment number eight. Good evening, school board. My name is Stacy Stearns and I teach high school English at Kai, Kai B High. Wanted to share with you some of my concerns about the reopening of schools at the secondary level. I've been teaching at Kybe since 1988. To begin with, on a personal level, I'm considered high risk for contracting COVID-19. I have a compromised immune system. Also, my daughter Sawyer is currently at home recovering from brain surgery in mid-August. She's doing well considering the circumstances and is hoping to move back to Ellensburg by mid-November to finish her last quarter of undergraduate work. She is considered high risk. She has a caregiver five hours a day, but obviously we are in close proximity all the time. I am personally not in support of going to face-to-face -face instruction in the immediate future. But let me be clear, I'm very aware of the fact that virtual learning has its drawbacks. Many students are struggling and I empathize with their struggles. It has been hard for them, and I would say equally hard and then some for me. However, safety has to be our first priority and I don't believe that we, parentheses, at least at the high school, in parentheses, are ready for in-person instruction. I believe there will be a disparity among teachers about enforcing the mask rule and have voiced my concern only to be told that basically I should be, only be concerned about what happens in my classroom because that is what I can control. I believe that high school teachers will become the enforcers of the mask and the distancing until, due to the sheer exhaustion of doing so, they, parentheses me, will give up. And then what? My other concern has to do with the community. I know there are very vocal, parentheses, loud, big, unparentheses, voices out there screaming about the fact that schools should open for their children. 
but I also believe that there are equally as many voices, if not more, excuse me, parentheses, if not more, but who cannot be classified as loud, in parentheses, who have very real concerns about sending their children back to school when COVID is still preying on our community. Our cases in Benton County are rising again. I had a student who checked in to tell me today that he wouldn't be in class because his whole house was sick and they were all going to be tested for COVID. In this particular household, I know for a fact that there are a minimum of five Chi B students K through 12. Please understand, I know that in-person learning is the absolute best thing for our kids, but it isn't safe at this point. And I hope we can pause, survey the parents of our students and come up with a plan that will ensure everyone is safe. Thank you, Stacy Stearns. Comment number nine. Uh, I don't feel comfortable with my son, Jordan Camposano, going back to school. Winter is around the corner and things are not going to get better. Thank you, Norma Mendoza. Comment number 10 from Mike Johns. What is the district's plan if teachers are exposed to COVID-19 or are sick during the hybrid model and they aren't able to come to school? Who will teach those classes? What if multiple teachers aren't able to return to the building due to high-risk issues? I firmly believe kids need to get back into the classroom, but it seems unrealistic to create a hybrid model that will keep everyone safe at the high school level. Mixing students seems to be the biggest concern. How is the middle slash high school going to create a schedule so students aren't switching classes throughout the day? The Benton Franklin Health District is reporting 109 cases per 100,000 people over the past 14 days. Dr. Person has said that she believes that number needs to be low 75 in order for high school students to return due to the issue of students mixing cohorts throughout the day and the fact that high school students transmit the virus like adults. Comment number 11. Dear school board members, my name is Mrs. Peck Oviedo. I'm a mother of a second grader and of a fourth grader. I'm also a teacher at a different district. Like many parents and teachers, I write to ask for the opportunity to have a survey given out to all families and staff members with the intent to truly understand how the majority of individuals feel about the reopening options that the school board has been proposing. My concerns are that I wish for my children along with their peers to return to school in the most safe and logical manner. For the school intends to create an AM and PN group and to have students attend school Monday through Friday. My personal concern with this option is the actual amount of time my students will be educated and how safe my students, peers, and teachers will be. My understanding is that if students are to be in the classroom for two and a half hours learning two to three subjects a day, will students really be educated for that entire time? Think about it, students' temperatures will have to be taken before they enter their classroom. Classrooms would have to stagger their entry into the hallways to meet the state requirement of six feet apart. Once in the classroom, students would have to wash their hands. Then it takes about five to seven minutes for students to settle into their seats. Roll call, pledge of allegiance, social and emotional learning lesson, then their core academics. And before you knew it, before you know it, the two hour mark is done. Students now must exit the building staggered again. Now, if my children are in the PM group, my concern is about cleaning classrooms. Do you have enough janitor staff to deep clean every single classroom? Will they be cleaning the desk, chairs, sinks, doors, light switches, student supply, et cetera, that may have been used by the AM group? Please do not promise this if it is not true. During the summer, we were promised that students would have a one-to-one -one device by the start of the school year. Instead, I had to spend over $600 to support the school in educating my students. I could go on and on both as a parent as an ed and as an educator. However, I ask all of you to please consider the option of the two full days at school and three days at home model. 
This way we can ensure the students receive close to what they know as a normal school day and are able to be more engaged in their learning. It would also assist working it also, excuse me, it would also assist working and non-working parents. There are way more benefits to this model, but to respect the time I've been given, been given, I will end there. Thank you for your time. Please put yourself in our children's and teachers' shoes. Go into the classroom and time yourself using the model you are proposing. Does it really work and is it safe for everybody, everyone at the school? Thank you, a proud mother of two children that are being educated by amazing teachers at Kaibi. Thank you for your time and support. Mrs. Peck Oviedo. And that's the last of the board comments. I'm sorry. Sorry. I, I was just saying that I, most of those questions could be answered with the uh, opening plans once the plans are in place. And again, Mr. Thornton, I think that it would be an opportune time for you and I to sit down and uh, draft some answers to the specific questions that were outlined. Okay, we'll do tomorrow. That would be fine. Okay, I'll, I'll get back with you and we'll get to the time. Okay. All right, um, let's move on to board comments. Don't everybody speak at once. I'd like to just uh, Clark, a, uh, give you a, a. You can't hear me. Nope. You can't hear me. That's now. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll leave it for later. It's not important. Well, it is important, but if, if you can't hear me, it doesn't do any good, so. I can hear you now, Clark. Can, can you hear? Oh, you can? Okay. <clears throat> I was just going to say, I, um, who, had, who graduated from Kamaikan High School back in uh, 1987, who has a, a bachelor's degree, and... Uh, talked with them about politics and I was shocked how little the person understood how our government works so I kind of gave him a tutorial uh, of history that sort of thing and immediately after the interaction I called up my youngest daughter and and asked started grilling her on uh, points of American civics and I was pleased to learn that she knew all the answers and said she learned them all at Kaibe High School through our civics program. Um, the individual that I talked to before said he did not remember getting a class like that in Kamiakan. I don't know if he just wasn't interested during the class time or he, he really didn't get it. But um, I'd just like to say, uh, again, our teachers do a great job. Uh, my children know the things that I expect them to know. So thank you very much to all the teachers. Well, thank you, Clark. That's a good compliment for our, our teachers. 
Any other comment? Okay, well then we can move on to unfinished business. Um, our uh, reopening update. Mr. Peterson, do we have any updates? Yeah, we sure do. Uh, just a few items. Um, as the board saw, I copied the board on a on a ton of information that I sent to the staff uh, last week as well. Um, don't know if there's not going to be a test at the end of this, so I'm not going to ask you if you read through all the documents. Um, I think the biggest the biggest thing moving forward is that we we currently have a tentative plan uh, to move forward with our K or pre K through second grade kids reentering the the elementary building on Monday in the aforementioned AMPM model. Um, you know, we have uh, still have some preparation to do. We still have still have some bargaining to do with our represented uh, folks. So uh, there still is work to be done, uh, but but assuming that we can get all this completed, then then we uh, at least at this point plan on giving, a sh giving it a shot for the pre-K through second grade kids in the AMPM, which will mean of course that no more than 50% of the kids will ever be present at one time. Um, from a planning standpoint, I really do wish to call out um, Jennifer Long and Dan Adamson uh, for thinking a little bit outside the box with our school breakfasts and lunches. Um, one of my personal biggest concerns, of course, is anytime you're getting large groups of kids, kids together and that obviously would, would occur anytime you're trying to feed even 100, 150 kids at a time. Um, but Jennifer and Dan have have worked out a way where um, all of kids, all of the kids will be receiving uh, meals, much as like they do now, in that we're going to serve multiple meals at one time. So a student who is on their way home in the morning session will not only get their take home lunch, but will get a breakfast for the next day that they can eat before they come to school. Um, at the same time that that's occurring, we will continue our bus drops, uh, delivering lunches to anyone who's unable to get it. Um, but then our our high school or our secondary students, or excuse me, our PM students would receive. Um, with that, um, the opening, like I said, for K two, barring some some unforeseen circumstances, should continue to occur on, on the second, or excuse me, on for K2 next Monday, but uh, I will keep the board updated if there are any changes during this week's meetings with our bargaining bargaining units. Be happy to entertain any questions. Pete, could you talk a little bit about the, the plan for cleaning in between the AM and PM groups? Yeah. Um, one of the things that, uh, as we were having this discussion with uh, one of our bargaining units as well, um, is just making sure that our classes are available as soon as, as the kids exit the building. And when we go into classrooms to start the cleaning process, we're gonna do so in teams, meaning uh, the standard practice is you, as you see kids, uh, outside the building, the teachers go home 
and our custodians come in later in the day and then start cleaning classrooms after everything is, is quiet. Um, so in this case, we're gonna empty the classrooms as soon as possible after the morning session, um, move in with teams. Uh, so if there's more than one person working at a time, uh, doing the, the wipe downs of the high touch areas, doing spot cleaning on anything that's needing to be cleaned prior to disinfecting the entire, entire room. Um, the, the spray that we would use uh, has a set amount of time that once you spray it, it dries on contact and then uh, kills anything that it's in contact with. At the same time that, um, that we're doing that, we also have uh, with Mr. Adams and having some forethought, he ordered four um, electrostatic nebulizers um, that will spray a, a solution as well that we can we can use that will allow things to go much more quickly uh, than simply using uh, ordinary ordinary custodial technique techniques. Um, they have they are being used in other districts and and the people that I've talked to um, I meet with the superintendents from the similar size schools once a week, and then we meet as a regional group with the 23 superintendents. And the folks who have put those into practice have uh, seen a pretty significant decrease in the amount of time it takes to clean not only classrooms, uh, but also the high-touch doorknobs, entrances to the buildings, buses, things of that nature. So uh, with that, um, you know, as, as we stand right now, uh, Mr. Adamson has stated that he, in his opinion and his beliefs that with, with the people that we have, as well as with uh, up to two more full-time uh, custodians that would be brought in on a temporary basis to make sure that we are getting coverage, that we can, we can cover those classrooms in the amount of time needed before a second group comes in. Uh, part of the help with that is gonna be the fact that if we're not supervising a lunch time, uh, where we have kids that we have to then clean up uh, a uh, large room at each of the buildings um, that that time can then be devoted simply to getting the classrooms ready. Um, if at any time that, that that doesn't seem like it's a tenable position as, as we move forward, um, we of course would reevaluate what we're doing and, and make any need needed adjustments because uh, regardless of whatever model we have in place, um, if we're not able to, to follow through with the necessary cleaning, we can't allow a second group of kids to come in there. So um, we, I think we really are at a point where, where um, we've been, been advised that this can happen. Uh, we've been seeing other districts with success in an AMPM model um, with those types of, of cleanings. And um, I, I have my faith in Mr. Adamson that things will go as planned. What's the time frame, Pete, between the AM leaving and the PM coming in? Currently, it's an hour and 45 minutes. Um, I was looking at the, the proposed elementary schedule today and noticed a nuance um, that we can, we can consolidate some time if we need to, uh, to increase the amount of time between those those spaces. We want to make sure that everybody has plenty of time for an unsupervised lunch, as well as uh, any PLC time that they would like, as well as some planning time in there as well. So um, as with so many things during uh, 2020, this is not set in stone by any stretch of the imagination. We'll make any adjustments that we need to, to make sure that uh, all 
parties from our staff and students to any any people we have coming in uh, are safe and uh, have the protocols in place to make sure that it stays that way. So do we maintain our customary start and stop times? Uh, we we have a a split schedule that will will be from eight o'clock until three o'clock with the hour and 45 minutes in between um, roughly two hours in two hours and 45 minutes for each session of uh, on campus time and then obviously working in breaks um, whether it be uh, mask breaks which are perfectly allowable on um, either on an individual or classroom basis as well as um, breaks for hand washing, sanitizing, things of that nature as well. Sounds good to me. Any other questions from the board? Okay, well, I guess we can uh, move on to new business. Um, our first one there is the policy procedure 3211, uh, the gender inclusive revision uh, that we were. Yes. Um, talking about last time. Yeah. Um, one of a few that we've, we're going to be getting to in the next few weeks. Uh, policy 3211 and gender inclusive schools uh, policy and practice is not a new policy. Um, this is a policy that was, uh, looking back at the dates, uh, initially uh, put into policy by Kiona Benton City Schools uh, December of 2013, revised again in December of 14, and once again in July of 2019. Uh, most of the changes that I, that I have been able to look back upon are simply changes at the state level to practice and policy that we needed to also include as a matter of requirements for our state reporting under uh, various student-centered events and student-centered educational practices that we have in place, i.e. title, uh, LAP, all of those types of services that require a state and a federal oversight uh, mandate that this policy be the most up-to-date before we can actually submit um, so luckily we were able to put in place the policy at the last meeting that allows us to, to do some revision as needed. Um, and as I said, this is not new, having been previously adopted and previously uh, changed three prior times. So this is the fourth time. And quite frankly, as you go through it, it, it changes some, some terminology and uh, does not affect the actual substance of the policy as it relates to gender inclusive schools and, and um, reporting. So for this one, um, you should have received it and seen some of the highlights. And I'm just looking to update this. So at that point that Mrs. Zavala can go ahead and, and finish off with the uh, equity reports and things that she always has that are due in October for uh, the prior school year. Happy to entertain any questions. I just have a comment. Um, I was glad to see that 
one of their revisions does allow for any student to request um, access to bathroom or locker room if they feel the need for um, increased privacy. So um, I, I saw that as a positive. I, I still have concerns regarding um, the policy and that I feel it creates an unequal playing field for our female athletes, but um, kind of feel like, <laughs> you know, we're in WIAA, we're subject to their eligibility requirements. And so um, there's no easy answer. I feel like our, our hands are kind of tied. It's um, just a requirement that we have to, we have to make, so. I agree with that. But I have to say, I agree with Julie. I wish we had a little more uh, autonomy there on the control in our athletics, but we are part of the league and the league doesn't agree with everything we, we believe. Uh, am, am I coming through at all? Okay, I am. Yep. Um, I have a concern about about the uh, um, allowing the student the option of contacting the parents or not. What are our requirements as far as parental advice and consent for things done by minors? Um, I I would think that we we would have to have some reason other than just the opinion of a student to not tell the parents about something. I, I see it as a, a bad precedent for everything. Um, if, if, if there's a, if there's a, a concern at home, um, I think there's ways that we could handle that. But I, I think just by going on someone's, um, a minor's say so that they don't want the parents involved at all, uh, it seems to me to keep, kind of leave us open. Maybe I'm wrong with that, but um, allowing minors to make decisions without a, a good reason to not bring in the parents and, and just someone say so just doesn't seem to be a good reason to me. What, what, it, you know, what, what is the state requirement? What is the federal requirement with respect to that? The last time that I that I personally dealt with this type of an issue, um, I certainly uh, empathize with your concerns, Mr. Carlson. I think that, unfortunately, in this case, we have to go with a couple of, of statutes that really are bigger than the collective that we usually deal with in education, and that's uh, around the lines of, of medical consent and HIPAA. Um, so in this particular case, um, you know, as as a, as a as an individual in the state of Washington, um, you have the the right uh, when you, I believe it's 14 years old to decline or um, ask for medical services, and and we are then held to the HIPAA standard with regards to that type of information because this falls under the same jurisdiction as HIPAA. Um, if a student who is able to consent for their own medical services um, does not wish to disclose that, uh, quite frankly, it's, it's not even as simple as making sure that um, 
A, we have to make sure and, and adhere to the student's medical wishes in which this is a case and uh, may not even uh, come under the auspices of something we can, we can readily broadcast or readily inform uh, other staff and students about as well because of that guideline. So um, in that case, and if you'd like to, I can look for some further legal advice on that, but um, at least in past cases and case law, that has been the, the determining factor is the, that this falls under the HIPAA statutes uh, that obviously anything medical related uh, falls under for any student or any employee, quite frankly. That being said, of course, it's always in the best interests, uh, regardless of the issue, to try and keep open communication with parents op you know, open as much as we can. Um, I can tell you that following letter of the law, uh, we might be forced into a situation where we couldn't disclose, but uh, most of the time we're able to uh, to let cooler heads prevail and, and have all parties involved understand the, the advantages to certain communications. Right, I would think that that would, would come under a mental health issue, um, a ability to communicate with your family, a ability to communicate with people that you're, you're dealing with. And so not necessarily um, having someone you know, saying you have to have your, you have to tell your parents because you know they're going to uh, not take it very well. Um, but it, it seems to me that that should be something that we have to address with students if we're uh, truly concerned with their well-being, whatever, whatever that case is. And so what they're they're basically trying to tell us is, well, you can you have to tell. Are the students allowed to tell you what they're going to do for their, for their uh, um, medical, their medical well-being, without going to someone who technically ha is responsible for that individual? Well, not only technically, but legally responsible for that individual. So it it seems to me that there should be some some. Um, requirement on our part to to do some sort of counseling with that individual because there's obviously an issue at home in addition to their 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 own um state of how they feel and uh, they're not able to they're either not able to um speak with the individual or they aren't able to convince them why they are that way and and it would it seems to me it behoove me that that we would saying, you know, we would counsel them about the reasons necessarily we'd force them to do anything or anything, but just to say, well, I don't want to tell my parents just doesn't jibe with me very much. I think we have to have some sort of reason. It, 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 because they're considered minors for a reason. They don't have all of their reasoning faculties together. And that necessarily isn't the case for anyone under 21 either, but that's beside the point. Um, legally, it's 18. And so it just seems to me that we need to have something 
um, for for our own legal protection, also for our own uh, morality or our own feelings on how we should be people. If we're supposed to help the students, we should make a point of helping the students. And if they're in a situation where they don't want to talk to their parents, they don't want us to say anything, there's a problem and we should find out what that problem is or do our best to find out what their problem is. That's just my feeling. And, and I, you know, I, I think I, you know, we're talking about having a, a uh, questionnaire going out to all of the parents because of the COVID-19. Um, this seems to be, maybe it's not important to anybody else. It's, it's, it's important to me um, how the parents of the, uh, of the students currently in our district feel about are not telling them what's going on with their children. Because I, I, I can't take this as no other, I can take this no other way. No, I certainly understand. And, and I think though, while I empathize that there are circumstances, of course, um, any time that, for instance, we have, and, and I'm going to make up some, this is a theoretical uh, explanation, but if we have a 14 or 15-year-old student who is seeing a private counselor, um, perhaps for the same reason, uh, due to confidentiality requirements, that counselor cannot uh, notify the parents unless it's a case of imminent danger for that that student or any person. Um, and so in a case such as this, um, and I think it's been proven out by, by case law, um, these types of, of conversations that take place within, within the school while not uh, maybe not technically meeting the criterion for a counselor-patient uh, relationship uh, do fall, follow some of the same safeguards that are required of that. Um, we're, we're talking about instances where uh, in order for us to make certain allowances that the policy would, would want us to do, we also have to have some other things in place um, from a documentation standpoint know it, to, to make sure that this is more than simply a, 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 you know, a 10 minute conversation where a student or someone is trying to to annoy their parents. Um, you know, most likely in the cases that I've, I've dealt with myself as an administrator, um, there's been an, a high level of discussion that involves not only uh, an in-school in uh, conversation, but usually some type of communication with an ex external agency at this, uh, acting on that individual's behalf. Um, I guess the, the easiest way and the best way for me to say it is, um, there have been many times in my career where I may not agree with a student's decision, um, and fundamentally it comes to comes down to what does the what does the law say? And in this particular case, I think we're on fairly solid ground where um, if a student is 14 years old or older, um, they are able to make decisions like that of their own volition, with still the understanding that there are certain things that the district will have to follow up upon and and verify. Um, in order to go forward with some of the requests. 
All, all that I'm saying is I think what I would like to do is I would like to assure the, uh, the public, the people who are in the Cuyahoga Benton School District, that we take seriously the parent-student, the parent-child relationship. And while we uh, do have um, certain legal obligations, we are doing our best. And we are doing our best to um, keep the parents' rights as much as we can in our mind. So basically, we're, we're going through some extra steps to say, we understand you may not feel this way, and we've done our best within our um, authority, within our um, sphere of influence, to make sure that the student is um, considering all things that are necessary and that, that we have done our best to try to convince them to do, well, no, no, we aren't trying to convince them to do anything there. They have, they have as we've been told. And so um, we just want them to, to we, we want to assure the parents that we do diligence to provide them with the information that they need, that, that, that to make sure that they understand the decision that they've made and the decision that they've made to exclude their parents. I, I, I don't believe we do anything more just because the way the law is written, but but I, I would like to assure the um, the, the uh, parents in, in the uh, Kaibe School District that we don't take this lightly. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I can imagine that the first time and probably second and third time that this this particular policy has come up for uh, comment that many of the same questions were asked at this at the same time. I don't know that there's anything necessarily written into this current uh, formulation of the policy that that changes any of our previously expected uh, guidelines or previously expected. Um, responsibility to make sure that um, those lines of communication are as open as they can be. Um, I'm not aware of any changes to the law um, as a result of this policy, nor sure that it would impact necessarily um, our ability to relay information. I mean, ideally we can get to the point of counseling a student to have a level of openness with their families that is healthy for all involved. Um, I can say from, from my own experience, I have not had a case where um, we've come to that absolute scenario that you're describing. Um, and the only legal references I have at uh, my availability that do go to that extreme were noted, were like I noted earlier that when push came to shove, um, we can we can do all of the attempts at persuasion and things like that that we that we are able to, and certainly our counselors would pay would play a big role in that conversation. Um, you know, hopefully we will never have to get to that point. I guess would be my my best response, but it. it at the end, as you said, if push has come to shove, um, I think the case law would not come down on our side in this particular instance. 
I would be more than happy to get some um, little jealous girl most most up to date um, information for you on that if if the board would like as well. I certainly would like that. I I just feel that there's a reason we're adults and they're not. That's mm -hmm. all. Pete, can you hear me? This is Diane. Yes, Diane. Okay. I just wanted to make a comment that um, I've held uh, the role of a Title IX person probably for about 12 years, uh, including other dis school districts. And this piece of the procedure where it's talking about the confidentiality, I think it's more for the parent and family's protection than for withholding information from parents. Um, I can tell you in my, my experience, I've, I've haven't, uh, worked with any families in Kybee with this uh, particular issue, but in other districts, the majority of the parents or this situation that has come up, the parents and student have come to me first to begin a conversation at the school level. So it hasn't been the opposite where a student has been at the school and is trying to work through gender issues and is afraid to speak with their parents. It's been the reverse. It's been the parent and student coming and talking to the Title IX person so that they can approach the school. So I just wanted to, to add that. Pete, I don't, I don't see how we can revise this procedure, change it and still keep it legal. Uh, you know, and as far as following the law without a lot of legal counsel and, and uh, you know, further references. Mm -hmm. it, it, it just seems to me if, if, if we're going to, if we're going to make um, a lot of uh, um, accommodations to a student, the, the ramifications of everything should be fully described through counseling. Mm -hmm. both for us and both for our staff and for the, the student who's having the issue. And uh, just, so we, we have to go through that counseling portion anyway. It seems to me mm -hmm. we do, we do have counselors at the school and, and they would be definitely a part of this, I assume. Oh yeah. So, and I'd like to say thanks Diane for that, for the clarification. I, I, I don't see it as a problem. I just, I'm just concerned that, you know, there's so many times I've heard people be upset that, well, the schools are, you know, allowing their, my children to do X, Y, and Z, and I don't even know what's going on. Now, in a lot of cases, that's because the parent isn't as involved, perhaps, as they should be, but that's not always the case, so. Mm -hmm. No, like I said, I'm happy to uh, speak to our to our attorneys and get the most up to date uh, ruling around this particular situation before you make a decision. Um, 
that's that's entire. I will leave that to the board. It would be it would be I think remiss of me if, to say that um, were there any legal changes to this as far as the applicability between the the various versions of the policy that we've had in place that. Um, I believe it would have hit with much more aplomb and certainly we would have received some differing viewpoints from a legal standpoint um, if that were the case. Um, it, is, it is within, I think, the right of the board to ask for some clarification while at the same time, I'm not, um, I'm not very sure that anything is gonna come up that quite frankly, hasn't been been discussed before that at, at some point, um, as much counseling and as much uh, discussion as we can have with the students at the end of the day, if that's the decision, I'm not certain that we would have uh, legal authority to deny that based on HIPAA. But like I said, I'm more than happy to, to get that uh, either in writing or have our, our attorney make a guest appearance to discuss that issue. And as you know, and as you you pointed out before, um, I think that any student in this situation will probably have some sort of private counseling already. Um, however, they go through that, or if they ask us for that that at least a connection for for private counseling, and then we could have the private counselor advise us of the best the best path forward for us, if I, you know if that's allowable. It, it just seems to, it just seems to me that we, we uh, like I said, I wanna make sure that, that parents underst understand that we're looking out for their children, but we're also looking out for their, their uh, um, rights as well. And, and I don't know how, how, what the best way to, to, to do that is. Um, you know, there, there is, I, I didn't see anything about counseling at all in the, in the uh, procedure. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I didn't read it very well. Well, I think you did uh, strike up an in interesting uh, point of view because one of the things that I would say is um, if we were fortunate enough to get a counselor from an external agency that came forward, it would only be at the behest of the student. It would not be at their own behest because that in and of itself would result in a, in a violation of, of uh, client counselor privilege. So um, what you would be, I mean, what you'd be seeing quite frankly is, is that agreement on the part of the kid to disclose it to someone here at school by that person um, if they were unwilling to do it themselves. Um, so you can, you can see the kind of conundrum this creates. Right, but I mean, we already have to, you know, if, if there's a, a medical issue that we have to accommodate the individual, uh, we kind of have to understand what that medical requirement is. We can't just have the student tell us, you know, well, I need uh, this accommodation in my classroom. And I don't want to tell my parents and, and my I don't want my doctor to talk to you at all, but you're going to do what I want you to do. Just there's, there's, there isn't enough there. Well, I think with the, in the example you decided again, that would be a, it would be a situation not unlike any of the current situations that we have where we're looking for accommodations for students in classrooms. We would need some type of 
official opportunity to talk to that professional for that medical diagnosis. And I think much of that same thing goes here. I mean, that this, like I said, it's not as simple as someone coming in and walking in and saying, I want to change my name on my transcript and my gender. Um, there are safeguards in place to prohibit that, that we have to follow through with. I think right. we're, we're kind of, we're spending a lot of time looking at that one out of a thousand outlier um, that hopefully we don't ever have to deal with, but I, I certainly appreciate the level of concern you have, Mr. Carlson. Okay. Do we have any other discussion? Well, the chair would entertain a motion. And I would certainly, um, and apologize if this is out of place, but remind uh, the board that you can certainly ask for a continuance on make, taking a vote on this to get further clarification from our, from our legal counsel. I would like that. I, I think that's what we should do with the concerns that Clark has brought forward because I, I get, I see his point. I, I totally, totally makes sense. And I just want to make sure we've got all our bases covered. Yep. I understand. So I, we, this is up for an approval. Um, is your motion then to table it? That would be my motion to table it. Teddy, are you a second? Yes, I will be a second. Okay, all in favor? Aye. 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 Okay, um, so uh, we have tabled that motion <clears throat> or tabled that proposal. Uh, we will ask Mr. Peterson then to bring us a little more information and a uh, resolution of some kind. Absolutely. Okay, and then next we'll go to an enrollment update. Hello. Hello. So when we compare last year to this year, so our September enrollment, um, we dropped 2% of our enrollment, which we anticipated um, enrollment to drop going into this year. Um, not quite as deep as it is, but um, on the flip side, it looks like we might not have all of our transitional kindergartners enrolled. So that should increase it if that is the case. Um, Pete, did you have an update on that? Were you able to talk to Chris? Um, not with Chris directly. I spoke with our uh, transitional kindergarten teachers on some different topics. Um, they had simply relayed to me in the past that um, while they have been making some contacts with kids, and documenting them that stuff, many of them were not yet in the system formally. So I think once we get a, a good handle on that particular aspect, once Skyward System slash cumulative comes back online on Wednesday, we can make any adjustments that we need to based on that. Because that will help significantly. Like I said, we're 2% down, which is a state average right now um, in talking to OSPI. They're ten watching trends across the state. 2% um, is um, pretty average, the biggest trend being that of kindergarten, which we're maybe or maybe not 
getting that effect right now. Um, we'll confirm that um, maybe next meeting. Um, but that that's a total of 23 right now based on projection, which is a little over $200,000 um, hit that we have not anticipated um, in this year. Um, there may be some recourse um, by OSPI of using um, decline of enrollment to recapture using CARES dollars. But those CARES dollars, or, I mean, are going to deplete pretty fast. So I don't want that as like our catch-all, but I mean, it is an option, but hopefully enrollment will increase. So that's my hope. Well, Kim, in of COVID and all, isn't that uh, not too bad? Yeah, like I said, that's the state average right now. I mean, we're not below what everybody else is feeling, basically. Okay. That doesn't put us in too big of a budget quandary. No, and hopefully it's temporary until we can... Uh, we can track down those the transitional kindergartens that might not be in the system yet. Well, any other questions from board members? Well, thank you, Kim. Uh, we can move on to the uh, OPMA update, Mr. Peterson. Yeah, so at the last board meeting, we talked about the fact that at, at least at that time that we had not seen um, the extension of OPMA, um, at least that we were aware of. And um, we're, we were looking forward to getting back to regularly scheduled meetings. However, the governor did extend the OPMA statute uh, waiver until, excuse me, November 9th. So, um, I, I think it was, is worth a discussion because I firmly, firmly believe that there are members of the board, including myself as a secretary, that we, some of us would like to get back to some semblance of an in-person meeting. Um, however, I, I was quickly reminded along with quite a few other superintendents that um, it goes against the oath that all of us have taken either as a board or as a superintendent to knowingly violate the law. So. Um, as much as I want us to get back together, I would say that it's it's not a 100% option, but if there are board members who would like to meet in person uh, following the guidelines for uh, meetings within the county for adults and the numbers uh, that preclude that, we could certainly set something up for the next board meeting that would allow for some in-person dialogue as well as some in-person um, opportunity for for addressing the board with public comment. I think the bottom line would be is that we would just simply have to create a rotation until the OPMA is fully reapproved uh, to give some of us a chance to to rotate who gets to come in person and who has to be online those days. Obviously we would still can we would still have uh, the broadcast available. We would still be doing the Zoom uh, for more widespread uh, opportunity to comment, but uh, at least this way we could have a few few people in person and could do an in-person comment if, if the person chose to. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is that still five people? Correct. 
So it be so, a couple board members. You, commenter. I I wouldn't be opposed to meeting in person. Um, I kind of worry about all of us being on Zoom and feedback, and I'm sure David could handle the technology issues. But um, what I wanted to propose would be a way, a different way for public comment that possibly we could do through Zoom where anyone who wanted to make a comment um, could sign up. Um, Heidi could comp compile that list for us. And then through the meeting, um, we could call on that person and then our host could unmute them and give them a couple minutes to speak and then move on to the next person. Um, just might give us, uh, just the community, more of a chance um, to speak to us. I think when you hear someone's inflection in their voice and um, kind of adds and um, would help the board with some of our decisions we, we are facing. Um, I guess my other comment, given what had happened tonight, <laughs> is <laughs> I would hope that maybe we could have something in settings with the cameras off and everyone muted. I don't know, David, if we could secure this a little bit more, but I'd appreciate that. Absolutely, Julie. Yeah, we're looking at the settings and things. The, uh, the only concerns we have is obviously this is public, and so this is on our website, and that's one of the, the risks we kind of run with it. But um, no, I was I've been talking to Heidi a little bit on the backside. We're, we're talking about some policies we'll be adjusting. So I'm keeping my eyes glued, so. Thank you. Appreciate you, David. And of course, hopefully this isn't going to be a long-term issue that we have to continue to fight with. Well, um, I, I think we could modify our, our board, our, I mean, our public comments easy enough without having to change the format of our meeting. Um, it would be easy enough to adopt just as we are now. Okay. Well, I can, I, guess certainly, I can certainly work with David and Heidi on the formatting potential and issues and uh, get out to the board as well as the public um, any changes to that practice so that we can, we can have a more um, a back and a forth between anyone wishing to make a comment uh, without taking into concerns any of our, our uh, Concerns around Zoom bombing, for lack of a better term. Okay, I think we should go forward with it, at least as far as uh, giving people an opportunity to publicly comment. Um, I, I think Heidi could probably work it in in the public notice. And then if people want to put their name on the list and, and be available at the public comment time, then we should go with that. Okay. And then we can still entertain emails also while we're at it. Correct. Yeah, I don't think we're talking about eliminating any options. We're only trying to uh, broaden them, broaden. quite frankly. <laughs> okay. Any other ideas, comments? <clears throat> All right, well, I, I think we'll uh, go.
go into an executive session uh, pursuant to RCW 4230 uh, of the Open Meetings Act, uh, personnel matters for 30 minutes. Uh, we won't have any business. So after that, the meeting will be adjourned. Thank you very much for everybody.